dispensing cannabis business knowledge beyond a million square feet of cultivation space. CannabisRadio.com proudly presents Blunt Business, harvested by Strainwise Consulting. Together, we will navigate the challenges and opportunities of one of the most profitable industries on earth. Join us each episode to hear our weekly roundtables and interviews with industry professionals. Now, let's delve into some blunt business with your host. And welcome to another edition of Blunt Business here on CannabisRadio.com. So thankful I'll have you join us. Today on the program, we're going to have a look at what is the 8th Annual Marijuana Business Factbook, the leading resource for data analysis on every sector of the cannabis industry. And here to tell us all about that is with MJ Biz Daily, the editorial director, Janelle Stelton-Holtmeyer. Janelle, thanks for joining us here on the program. Thanks for having me. Uh, really do appreciate it. Uh, we And I must say that before we get started that I do cite MJ Biz Daily for a lot of different stories. And I must admit that um, it's not hard to admit. But, uh, really, you're a great gathering of, of information. <clears throat> because really, when I go through this Blunt Business program, if, I'm, if you ever hear this show for any period of time, I cite a lot of different sources, and there's a handful that I definitely rely on for the most. But uh, for my own sake, I do like what MJ Biz does put together in terms of news. And, you know, the one thing is it's, we have to have more information coming out, reputable, professional, for the cannabis industry to look make the cannabis industry be brought up to the best possible light. And, you know, I always well, Ann and the team there, Ann Holland and the team I've done over there at MJ Biz has been a lot of work. And I must say that I've known Ann – uh, for work uh, even before the cannabis industry, going back to, uh, over a decade. So I really like where, where the progress of the, where you guys have gone thus far. We, Yeah, well, we appreciate your support. <laughs> of course. We've also done the, uh, the, attended the MJ BizCon, so we definitely are familiar and aware. Now, let's talk about the 8th Annual Marijuana Business Factbook. I want to look at the overall scope of findings with you. So I want to take a passage here from some of the information that has been embedded. Quote, Though the long-term outlook for the recreational side or adult side of the industry is more bullish than for medical, medical marijuana sales are expected to grow at roughly the same pace in 2020. New medical marijuana markets, including but limited to Florida, Maryland, Oklahoma, and Pennsylvania are booming, more than offsetting lost medical sales in markets that have legalized adult use sales such as Illinois, Massachusetts, and Michigan. At the moment, we're looking at four states that are looking at adult use legalization on the ballot <clears throat> in November. That's Arizona, Montana, New Jersey, and South Dakota. Where do you see market growth? Uh, where it's going to be coming from the most? And what, where, where is the concentration of what markets will be, the, where we're going to be investing the most into business? And where can we see the most return back? Uh, that's in many ways a difficult question. What you're seeing, um, like the, the quote that you pulled out right there, is what we've seen in most states is that as they come on with adult use and recreational use, their medical markets tend to wane um, simply because of the fact that there are fewer hoops to have to go through for that recreation point, And that's where you get a lot of the returns. So that's what you've started to see in Illinois. That's what you've seen in Colorado. I mean, Colorado is a little bit of an exception because they have still seen some growth, but as one of the OG states, it really has helped to maintain and grow that recreational side. 
going forward, what we expect to see is, yes, you will have these medical markets, but we're already reaching capacity for the medical markets to come online. The vast majority of states already have a medical market of some sort. Um, while there is still room for growth, where we see the opportunity and the ramp up is in those recreational markets because there's still just a fraction of the states that allow that. So with those four states that are coming online or potentially coming online with the elections uh, this fall, we see opportunities for growth. Obviously, South Dakota and Montana are smaller populated states. So you're going to see a smaller amount of growth there. But when you look at a state like Oklahoma, where we've seen a huge adoption of the medical program, much more than almost any other state that we've seen, there's a lot of opportunity. So it's really, that was kind of unexpected for us. Um, we haven't seen that in other Midwestern states. I, mean, you I, I totally understand where you're coming from there. But then also I would imagine the one issue you have is where some states have put some regulations that have just been a little bit just draconian almost in a way because of how Illinois, when they initiated the rollout of medical and then adult use, a lot of a lot of regulations and a lot of things that they had to offer as well to kind of placate the rollout of the uh, the cannabis program to be brought into the state. Oh, absolutely. And so that's one of the big things is even if things get through that ballot process, what we're going to see is how does that actually get implemented and what does the regulation that gets put in place on it? We've seen that happening with Utah, where they were trying to get it on the ballot and then they reached a compromise. And what the result was, uh, a lot of people weren't happy. So uh, a lot of it for these new states, we expect to see growth. Uh, we're not quite sure at this point. Uh, South Dakota is really an up in the air. It's not usually one that's seen as one that's going to move forward. We've seen a lot of interest in Montana. Um, but as I said, with as far as investment goes, those are relatively small markets. But what, it's, so it's, what's important for them is the coronavirus pandemic has been not as penetrating as it would be in other larger markets because South Dakota has been kind of just scot-free the whole time. Same thing I'm imagine for Montana. Absolutely. And, and like we've noted before, one of the big things is we don't know the broad impact of the coronavirus pandemic at the moment. Yes. Um, right now, the big thing that we're watching at this moment is the end of the unemployment, extra $600 per week unemployment benefit, because that often brought people up to full recovery of their salaries, of, of what they had been earning. So as we see that drop off, people are going to have much less disposable income. Will marijuana, will cannabis actually be recession proof when when they don't have that disposable income that they've had for the last few months. What I will say is that the, with the pandemic, which before I move along, can we can we wait? Go to the, I can't wait for the time when we actually have this in the rearview mirror. We can say, you know, are we glad we're not talking about pandemic anymore? I'm waiting for that day. Just personally, <laughs> just saying. Uh, Absolutely. But, but one thing I noticed uh, more than anything else is um, the durability of the market. Because even at its hardest time, sales were continuing to kind of work along. There was a, there were adjustments made, and businesses were able to go and adapt. So, say some some places that were cultivating decided to move to say hand sanitizer or other products to help serve the you know just the urgency of what was going on with the pandemic. But I felt like that even like with the stock market, it's amazing where how durable and how resistant. The whole industry was because I don't think we had any major drop off or any major businesses that had to close as a result. I feel like everybody's kind of able to make their way back. 
Well, I think what we saw as well is over the last year, we've seen kind of a correction in some of those markets. We've seen a lot of layoff announcements from some of the large companies as they as the industry matured in a sense. So what you're looking at is, so we had the capital crunch last year that really tightened markets. We saw a lot of M&A activity really drop off. Um, we saw a lot of uh, CEOs get ousted and replaced with yeah. more traditional leadership. So what we're seeing, I think in part, uh, is influenced by the fact that we saw the shift before the pandemic hit. No, I like, so, that, I like that question. I like that point you just made because I think there is something to be said where I, for my sake, at this little bit of a level of, I would say maybe not a bit of concern or just something I would be interested in because of the fact that we are seeing more traditional leadership being brought into the ranks. And I have prefaced this. All of you know I'm going to probably just bring up the Screen Pick episode where Stephen D'Angelo came on with Richard Zwicky, made the mention of the fact about how important for businesses to grow to make sure that the leadership is still in touch with the heritage of the product. Absolutely. And and you're seeing that too. Um, but as you try to grow and as you try to become a more traditional part of the economy, a more, um, sorry, I'm blanking on the word. No, no, no. <laughs> Take a second. That's okay. Yeah. Um, as these companies ha have become a, a more or mainstream type of company, because that's really where this industry is headed, even though we don't have federal legalization here in the US, that's really the goal is we want to be, as an industry accepted as a mainstream company. You're going to have to deal with those fundamentals of business and operating within this economy. Um, but absolutely, you're going to have to have a leadership that understands the product and understands the customers, just like with any other industry. You've seen it with alcohol companies that have tried to come in and, and fall apart because they don't understand their customers and how to reach them. So just like that, you're going to have to have people who understand the cannabis market who understand the cannabis history to really be able to move it forward as well. And honestly, I've had talked to a lot of CEOs on the program and I really do feel like, and we've had, we had, oh my God, hundreds and about thousands of interviews so far since 2015 on cannabisradio.com with CEOs and top level leadership. I feel like the ones that are, have a personal attachment and a personal passion because either a loved one or for something for themselves where they have filled a personal, uh, attachment to the to the plant have been the ones that have hit best but then i've also seen in some cases where some ceos that are just good ceos and they just understand their business and they're not just here to go ahead and pull a profit regardless of the uh, uh the performance of the company we're not seeing so much of that and I, but one thing is i've always been afraid of how corporate the industry will become and i was saying that going back to 2017 2018 that i saw the influx at conferences of the amount of CEOs we bring brought in from Fortune 1000 companies, that's fine. You know, don't get me wrong. We need the the legitimacy for the business, but I also don't want to lose where the business came from as well. We still have to hold on to our roots in some way, shape, or form. Uh, I want to get one more other question in before we go to break. Uh, now, the medical cannabis industry is a limited upside, as in this report says. As more than two-thirds of U.S. states have legal medical markets, around one-fifth currently allow adult-use sales. Programs in states that have recently legalized medical marijuana are restrictive in nature with limited access to dispensaries, tightly controlled lists of qualifying conditions, and severely constrained product selections. 
Generally speaking, the handful of states left that have yet to legalize medical marijuana are politically conservative. And if they do enact MMJ programs, might adopt a similarly onerous model that dampens their sales potential. Three states that are voting on legalization for medical marijuana is possibly Idaho. I, I haven't checked out the press time if that's now official. Mississippi, Nebraska, and South Dakota. So it could be four, but right now it's three. Expand if you think there's room for growth is hitting a plateau in new markets. Are we getting to the point where it's almost as if the States Act or any kind of legalization might not be, we, we might already be at the level of growth that there might not be any more room for expansion of the market? I think there's always room because when you have federal legality, uh, you also have people who have been standing on the sidelines and have been a little hesitant, particularly in those conservative markets. When you look at the rules around employment, for example, we still have states that um, even if medical marijuana is allowed, that can do drug testing and as a national company can terminate employment in certain instances. So I think what you're going to see is if we get that federal legality or those federal protections at some level, whether it's the States Act, whether it's the SAFE Act, you're going to have opportunity for people to invest in different ways in their companies to reach new customers. Because one of the other facts that has come to light is what's driving growth in a lot of the older markets, such as Colorado, is the fact that what you're seeing is new consumers coming on board. So there will always be new consumers. It's just a matter of how do you reach them? How do you get to it? So I think that there's still opportunity for growth. Um, as we noted already, I think that opportunity is more in the adult use and recreational side because what we've seen is that younger audiences are, or younger consumer base is much more um, willing to admit and, and to go forward and admit that they're using for recreational purposes as opposed to medical. And right now we just surpassed that, you know, Baby boomers are no longer the majority. Uh, that happened a while ago. And so that younger population that's coming into the consumption age is, is really being willing, willing to adopt, and we just have to be able to reach them. I was just reading the other day that it said about 40% of the business sector now is comprised of millennials, at least, that are reaching up to 40 years old. <clears throat> that's what we're looking at. Those are the ones that are going to be leading forward, and that's going to be the basis of the demographic that will be buying most of uh, cannabis or hemp related based, uh, based products, I would imagine. And, yeah, and Generation Z is coming in there and, and willing to buy as well. Um, we're starting to see numbers come out. They're, they're hitting legal age and they're, they're jumping into the market as well. Also, they don't have the same, uh, probably the same palate necessarily for alcohol as they would for cannabis when they would rather have a cannabis infused beverage over an alcohol product. I've seen that also change as well. Yeah, we've seen uh, cannabis-infused beverages haven't made a whole lot of influx yet. They're still a relatively small part of the market, um, but a lot of companies are exploring it, and particularly a lot of the big alcohol companies are, are looking for a way to get their foot into the door in that area. Absolutely, because the other problem is that it's and you know I don't know if it's enough being said about the fact of how the energy drink market has made such a significant difference, and also you know, just imagine just certain products where you know where everybody's just much more. Uh, adept to having something more organic or plant-based and obviously i know that's one thing that the market uh, the industry is looking at right now is with that plant-based you know messaging that uh, obviously that and being more, much more funny products more organic trying to create that presence right there is just trying to create more appeal for any products for those that are hitting that particular younger demographic i would imagine 
That's my opinion, but I just want just want I'm just analyzing and speculating from here. I'm here with Janelle Stelton Holtmeyer, editorial director at MJ Biz Daily, uh, and of course that's MJBizDaily.com. And I have more to go ahead and talk to you about Janelle based on the findings of the eighth annual Marijuana Business Factbook. We'll be back with more questions after this. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling, with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at S-H-O-O-G-I-E-S dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet, take-anywhere treat. Trends and technology, processes and products. We cover these areas and more on The Cutting Edge of Cannabis. Be informed from the latest initiators of new innovation. Learn about the latest breakthroughs and best practices in the cannabis and hemp industries. Better products, better infrastructure, and better sustainability. The Cutting Edge of Cannabis, consulted by the American Cannabis Company. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. (laughs) They have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing, healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA free and lead free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots and close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. I hope you didn't forget about us because we're back with Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com. We're back with Janelle Stilton-Holtmeyer, Editorial Director at MJ Biz Daily here on Blunt Business. So there's a couple of stories I was reading through that came still from the Marijuana Business Factbook, the eighth edition that has now been made public for all to go ahead and check out. Uh, you wrote a story, Janelle, about how U.S. cannabis employment could climb nearly 50% in 2020, surpassing computer programmers. That's fascinating. Quote, the number of people working in the U.S. cannabis industry is expected to jump to 240,000 to 295,000 by the end of 2020, slightly higher than the number of computer programmers employed in the United States. The anticipated rise in cannabis employment represents a nearly 50% increase over 2019 levels, which was estimated at 165 to 210,000 in a newly released Marijuana Business Factbook. Talk to me, Janelle, about why the change of career direction and the appeal, why people would want to... Is it just a saturated market for computer programming and IT? And then cannabis is the new place where there's a lot of room for jobs. Um, really what I think it is, is that you just have a lot more growth happening in 
the cannabis industry. You have these new states coming online. You've got new companies coming online. You've got Illinois that still hasn't issued all of its licenses for this year. So you've got more companies just in general that are new, that haven't existed before. So you're seeing a lot of need for employment there. But also, like you said, there's a lot of computer programmers out there. There is a, a slowdown a little bit, although it's still a rapidly growing industry. Um, but really, I think the driver is just the growth of cannabis in general. That's the primary reason that we're seeing so much growth, because if you look at the trajectory that we have over the next five years, it's going to continue to step up um, through 2024. Now, do you think part of the thing, part of uh, the facts here might be a bit swayed because of the fact that the pandemic came along? And I don't know how much that affected the findings that you had, that the fact book found because of the fact that we have much more work from home and that the remote working, um, remote employment might be a much more common thing because that might last past the pandemic. That might be a permanent change. And I mean, all of it is speculation right now right. because obviously the pandemic is still going on, but we do. And, and like I said before, we are really keeping a close eye on the impact of the coronavirus for a lot of these things. What we saw specifically with the cannabis industry, however, is um, as noted, the industry has been relatively resilient. We've seen adjustments. They were declared essential in most uh, dispensaries were declared essential in most states and they switched to um, situations like curbside pickup or appointments. Um, they tried to switch their dynamic, but they still needed people in the grow house. They needed to implement new rules. Uh, it, it's more than just the retail front that you're seeing this employment in. It's all of that background stuff that still needs to continue to meet that growing demand across the market. Now, cannabis employees include uh, people that are working directly in the sector, such as bud tenders, extraction technicians, you just, you just preface that out, as well as employees of ancillary companies, think consultants and lawyers, who support the marijuana industry. Uh, sustained sales growth, especially in regional recreational markets, will continue to fuel job growth in the cannabis industry. And again, uh, the fact books estimates that there between 2020 and 2024, there will be an additional... Two, nearly 250,000 full-time equivalent jobs. That's, that's incredible. Um, so you think that the, the additional growth of, of new sectors will be the playing factor. With the fact of potential job growth, with the, the growth of the industry in general, we've talked about this since the pandemic, <clears throat> is the fact that even back in March, I remember reading in Yahoo Finance, they pitched the idea of legalization being a possible economic relief to really bring the economy back full forward. But at the moment, we see that the economy has probably made itself back about 80% of what it lost back on March 23rd. Uh, do you still think that, obviously it's not going to be something that we brought up in the next bout, but it's been rarely talked about by the presidential candidates, and you know Congress has not said much about it, but we know there are acts that are ready to go and be legislated, or that can be uh, negotiated and passed. We know that's all happening. We're waiting for that. So with the amount of growth and the potential of economic windfall for in a federal or state level or state by state level, are you surprised we haven't gotten more talk about that? Because obviously your stats show a lot of promise. 
Uh, honestly, no. And it goes back to the continued conversation about the pandemic. The pandemic really has taken all of the air out of the room for a lot of these things. So that has been the number one focus uh, of Congress. That has been the number one focus of the, the president. Um, it really is. It has taken up all of the attention for it. That said, what you're seeing is some of the some uh, people within Congress are trying to implement things like safe and include provisions and protections with in uh, the measures that are tied to uh, the coronavirus relief as well. So am I surprised that they're not talking about it more? Not at this time. Uh, I think as the things settle down into a new normal, a new reality, the pandemic, we don't know how long it's going to be going on. We don't know the impacts are going to be felt for a very long time. But until we get something figured out on the federal level with regards to that response, um, I think that's going to be what we hear them talking about rather than legalizing cannabis. And this is right. And this is obviously this can be that's it's, I guess it's where you land on the political sphere, where what you want Congress to be enacting. Do you want them to just continue to offer relief to the citizenry or do you want to offer recovery efforts for people to go ahead and find their way to recover back up economically individually? Even though people might say, well, that's going to be trickled down if the industry is able to go ahead and take off, be legalized and then jobs will be brought in additional revenue that might be a thought but again this is where i mean i i, I mean the economy is being handled by the federal reserve and by the administration that's trying to go ahead and make their efforts there i just wish there was something where that option could be brought to the table because if we're looking for an immediate economic recovery then let the industry let the industry know what it's able to do and let it enact and bring new business into the front and also uh for for investor for the uh, institutional institutional investors, hard to say, they should be able to come on in us and, and be able to say, "Listen, let's not worry about what's you know just continue to be doom and gloom. Cannabis is right here to go ahead and bring us over the top and bring us into another level of, of success, and that's for anybody to have a chance as well because of the opportunities of the cannabis industry when it comes to those that might be you know might looking for a second chance or does looking for." an industry that will offer equality, diversity, inclusion. I just think there's a lot that's being said about that. I'm going to thump my, thump my chest saying that's an opportunity <laughs> there. Why not Congress look at it? Why not go look at it right now? Because instead of it being put on the back burner, it should be on the front of, of, front of mind. But that's just me. I, well, and I mean, there are a lot of questions when it comes into federal legality. What does that look like? Which model do you use? That It's not an easy answer just to say, hey, let's do it, because there's got to be a legalization framework in order to get the economic benefits. If if you don't have a, a set taxation policy, how are you going to bring in the tax money? It's it's There are so many complicating factors when it comes into that. Um, <laughs> I, I'd love to see legalization, obviously, um, but I, I don't think it's that easy, particularly when you have an issue such as the pandemic going on right now. Well, say if the Safe Banking, Safe Banking Act finally passed, and say the States Act, which I support, you know, federal, letting the states go ahead and handle what they want to do with the industry, would that, are there still more strings that are left to go ahead and, uh, that, that, that still need to be uh, un, untangled? There will always be strings. It's uh. government. <laughs> I hate government. I hate politicians. Sorry. <laughs> uh, we're, we're back with final questions with Janelle Stilton Holtmeyer, editorial director at MJ Biz Daily. Thank you again for making time for us. And the folks at MJ Biz Daily, we're going to come back with final questions after this. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. 
Doc Rob, the concierge for better living. My guests say Razzy Berry. We're talking about nature, naturopathic medicine, as well as the concept of prevention and preventing disease. Empower people to live a naturopathic lifestyle. Get to know your body, understand its rhythms, remove toxins, and use natural alternatives whenever possible. 90 to 95% of cancers are due to environment and lifestyle risk factors. That's a huge number. That means that cancer is preventable. The Concierge for Better Living with Doc Rob. Only on CannabisRadio.com. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now. About a game for your phone, gonna make you say, wow! The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash. Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash. Little by little, your empire grows large. Put different celebrities inside your entourage. You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Cheech and Chong. Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong. The name of the game is Himping, that's the point. Download and play while you light yourself a joint. The business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot-proofed by the man who run high times. Oh yeah, get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Welcome to Cannabis Confidential. I'm your host, Dr. Dina. We've got David Faustino on the line. Bud Bundy from Married with Children. Did you feel nervous being a celebrity walking into a weed store? I don't remember at all being like, ooh, I'm scared someone's going to take my picture here. What are they going to say? Bud Bundy smokes Bud? I mean, come on. (laughs) (laughs) It wouldn't be a big shocker. Hey, this is David Faustino, and I'm on Cannabis Confidential with my girl, Dr. Dina, on CannabisRadio.com. I hope you didn't forget about us, because we're back with Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everyone, to Blunt Business. Janelle Stoughton Holtmeyer is my guest, editorial director at MJ Biz Daily, and I've thrown some heavy, <laughs> some very heavy questions at you, and you've come out of it like a champ. Thank you again for making time. Now, oh, one more thing I want to ask you before we go and wrap things up. As more brands enter the cannabis products marketplace, competition for retail shelf space, this was interesting. And key adult use markets such as Colorado and Washington State is intensifying. While the number of new brands and consequently the amount of new products continues to rise, growth of the number of retail stores has not kept up pace. Now, this has fostered a pay-to-play mentality among marijuana retailers, with some now charging brands a fee to occupy shelf space in states such as California and Nevada. Known as slotting fees, the practice requires brands to pay anywhere from 500 to $15,000 a month for premium space on cannabis retailer shelves. The use of slotting fills coincided with the rise of the popularity of vape products, which was a major contributor to the point ranked off space crunch. I'm, fa- I'm fascinated by that point right there more than just about anything because now we're having a fighting for brands. It's like, uh, will there be room for new brands coming up? Uh, 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 at the point, it's fascinating because of the fact that we don't have a national brand. I don't think any one brand in the cannabis or hemp industry has created a full-fledged national brand as available in all available markets. You're starting to see some. Um, I don't think it's in every market because, as, as we've already noted, there are several regulations on who can play in what market and where and how and how many, um, which complicates that factor. But you are seeing some brands. Um, the Select brand is uh, from Cureleaf is one of the big ones. Wanna brands on the edible front um, that are seeing a broader base. But 
as far as is there room for brands? I mean, this is something that, that you see in the mainstream industries as well. That's where a lot of these slotting fees have come into play, where you have the grocery stores that allow you to pay to have that premium end cap space. Um, and so you're starting to see that come into the cannabis industry. And with that, basically in order to have a brand that builds is you have to have something that really sets yourself aside. Brands can't really be decided by the company. Brands are decided by the uh, consumers uh, when they decide something has that value and they can attach that name to it. And that's one of the things that was interesting to me is because of because I didn't know if there was so much consideration. Uh, yes, you're saying the consumers are ultimately, you know, if they're buying supply and demand, those are the ones that get to the store shelves and will get a better chance to be brought up. And I think also packaging has also been very important. I don't know if it's been made a big enough point, but I think it, it always felt like it was could be more could be done with packaging and just branding itself so that there's some ultimate brands that are able to go ahead and break the mold and become appealing to every possible market and obviously going to entangling through whatever kind of red tape there might be for products to go ahead and be in multiple markets without any chance of interstate commerce also has to be a factor. I just don't, until then, I don't know how it's nice to have this in certain States right now where you have like say California, Nevada, like you, like this was mentioned about having the sodding fee. So there's extra revenue that comes into the stores. And, but again, even though the consumers might choose to have that product on the shelf, are they going to be charged? Uh, is that slotting fee going to be taxed onto the consumer? Oh, absolutely. It's going to be. Um, it's That's a cost what the of doing, <laughs> It's a cost of doing business. Um, and so we're not seeing it all markets. It's not allowed in, I believe it's Washington, um, that it's, it's not allowed under the law. So it's not entirely across the board as with anything with cannabis. What you're seeing as far as getting the brands across, you're seeing licensing agreements particularly with uh, edibles products where they are licensing to companies within that brand and that formulation to brands in other markets, um, to manufacturers to, to create that product and get their brand in those markets. So that's where you're starting to see that national brand get created, that national recognition, but you have to have the product to support it. And you have to have that wherewithal to really understand how those licensing agreements work. It's really a, a in the weeds business kind of element. Um, but absolutely, any of these fees are going to get passed on to customers. But if they value your brand enough, I mean, people will pay for Coke over your store brand uh, because they value that product. But you have to get to that point where you have that recognition of that brand. And you're starting to see that in certain markets. Excellent. And all this information we've been talking about throughout the program today has been from the annual Marijuana Business Factbook, 8th edition. Uh, I want to just point listeners over to MJ Biz Daily. Slash Factbook. Uh, again, MJ Biz Daily slash Factbook. Uh, so real quickly, uh, take a minute to go and talk to your listeners about the Factbook and what they'll be able to find inside if they're looking to go ahead and uh, invest in it. Really what the annual Marijuana Business Factbook is, is a comprehensive resource for people who want to operate in the marijuana industry in different segments to understand, to invest in the industry. Um, we take a very conservative approach to our estimates because we don't want it to be just a pie in the sky. We want it to be an actual factual um, book, a resource for people who are looking at this and can really do evaluate 
what's going on in the industry. It covers um, the variety of different sectors from cultivation to investing to retail and provides operational data on each of these segments so that you can benchmark your companies against it or see what the outlook is for each of those segments to see what the biggest challenges are facing these industries to identify where the opportunities are for investing in companies in markets and and how to grow your business. It also goes through and provides a state-by-state guide for the rules and regulations in markets that already operate. So it's it's a wealth of great information for anyone operating in the space, looking to operate in the space, or looking to put money into the space. Fantastic. And because of Marijuana Business Daily being attached to the MJ BizCon conference, I must ask you, I see it's still scheduled. The, the major conference that happens every at the end of every year is December 2nd through 4th, and it's still Slot on the book in the calendar for Las Vegas this year. Uh, real quickly, I, you know, obviously the show has grown it's almost. Uh, it's amazing how at least I didn't get to get to the show, but I know our team was there and the scope of the show and the size of it. Uh, what can you tell me about what's being thought about from the conference then, you know, of what we're looking at going forward because of the fact that, you know, the super conferences right now are on hold because of what's going on. Even though right now Vegas is still on the cards, I saw CES recently just announced that their show is going virtual in January, uh, but the, the show is still already scheduled for Vegas, you know, crossing figures and toes, is what happens. But uh, talk to me about, you know, what has been the thought process there as the show is being planned and, you know, what what might be the future of the MJ BizCon conference and, and this conference is of that size in general, because it's not just here, but every sector of a major conference has not been able to do shows. Like in, as well for Vegas, ASD Market Week, which works with a lot of CBD companies, and it's a huge show to put down 50,000 people. They're not able to do their shows. And the travel, all of that right there has been on complete hold for more than four months, and we don't know how much longer it's going to go. Absolutely. And that is the the key thing is we're really focused on the safety of our attendees and the safety of our exhibitors and the of, safety of our own staff. Um, as of right now, we are still planning on having a live event. We're still going forward with the planning, but we're keeping a very close eye on the trends in Las Vegas, the trends nationally, um, what's going on within the industry and really continually assessing what's, what's happening. We will be having an event. Um, of some sort. If if things fall apart, we will have a virtual event. We will be figuring out how to make that the best experience as possible within that dynamic. Um, but yes, as of right now, we're keeping a close eye. We're planning, we're moving forward, and we're figuring out how we can adapt to the current environment with that safety in mind. Because if we're able to get back to that again, I think we'll probably, it would be safe to say that we'll probably be back from the clear of what we've been dealing with since March. And I'm waiting for that day. I don't know if it'll be soon, but I'd like to hope so. And I'm always going to try to stay glass half full myself. So, uh, And it's really interesting because of the fact that, um, because I mean, I'm just looking right now where even Force Magazine had talked about, could it possibly, what the fate of trade shows and conventions are going to be, and it's just going to be tough. I know Vegas has been hurt badly by this right now. And that yeah, might absolutely. Be, that in New York City, I think, are going to be the cities that will be the tough to get to, and we'll see what happens. I hate, I hate that phrase, we'll see what happens, but <laughs> what can I say? Janelle Stone-Holtmeyer with uh, MJ Biz Daily. Again, mjbizbizdaily.com. 
Thank you so much for being on with us. I really do appreciate it. If people want to go ahead and follow you and what you're reporting on on a regular basis, how can people best follow you? Um, well, check out mjbizdaily.com. Uh, I'm right there. But I also do have a LinkedIn account, um, Janelle Stelton Holtmeyer. Long name, lots of letters, but uh, you can find me. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Janelle, for being on. I'm glad that we were looking at this interview put together. And thank you, listeners, for listening to another additional Blunt Business. By all means, thank you for all the rating and reviews that you'll put for the show. I love that you're putting this out there in a positive light, and I'm glad you're really enjoying the program. By all means, please keep continue to go ahead and sub- suggest the people to subscribe to the show through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spreaker, Spotify, iHeartRadio, all the major platforms. Find Blunt Business, of course, through our home at CannabisRadio.com. We're so thankful for all of you to come and find us and join us. Come back for next week. expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.